I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching to you about, I'm teaching in the book of Revelation, but I'm talking about the end of time in the Bible, Babylon's destruction. I've got to keep reminding you that Babylon is the mother, the mother of harlots, mother of Harlot is not the word, not our word harlot. It is the word porne, P-O-R-N-E. We get our word porn from that. It doesn't mean to look at naked men and women. It, it means idolatry. And idolatry is the word idolatria. Idolatria. That's a construction of ido. We've already talked about that. That means to see. And latruo means to serve. It means to serve what you put into your eyes and ears. To serve what you see. And and the Bible says that if we serve what we see, there in Ecclesiastes 1 and 8, 1 8, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The mouth will not simply utter it. All things are full of labor. What you put into your eyes and ears on a regular basis, you will labor to fulfill that. And that's what the Bible says. i got to give you my favorite idolatry. This is my favorite idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry. Covetousness, you'll find that in Ephesians the fifth chapter and Colossians the third chapter a covetous man this is an idolater covetousness is the word pleonectes pleon e-k-t-e-s pleonectes is a word that means to want more any way you can get it by being devious or underhanded and sometimes you don't think you're being underhanded and devious but you are. Now, since Babylon is the mother of all harlots, and she was founded on self, I keep talking about that inner and that outer man. The outer man serves the Romans 7 and 25. The outer man serves the law of the flesh. The inner man is Christ in you, that's the new birth. The new birth. We were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. When that seed is put into us, there's none righteous, not, not one. Nobody seeks God. The Bible says that none seeks after God. Well, if nobody seeks God, how is a man born again? God has to pick a person out. Nobody seeks God all you have when you come to the knowledge of Christ, before you come to it, you just have this outer fleshly man. It takes the miracle of God to birth the inner man, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And that's how he's born. People say, what do you need to do? What can I do to be saved? You can do nothing. 
Oh, but I want to be saved. Well, if you want to, you will be. Where did you get that want to? Well, I don't know. But if you want salvation, you will have it because the want to is what God puts into a man's heart. God puts the want to there because you can't get there on your own because nobody seeks God. Now, I keep saying Babylon is this outer man. With the outer man, we serve the law of the flesh. With the inner man, we serve the law of God. And when a person first comes to Christ, they've got oligos, pistis. Pistis is the word faith. Oligos is the word puny. When Jesus would tell the apostles, O ye of little faith, the word is oligos, pistis. Pistis is the word faith. He said, O ye of puny faith, your faith has to grow. And the way it grows, this outer man has to die. So what God has to do, he has to take fire, trials, persecution, and every kind of thing that has to happen in your life to burn out self. And I keep saying this outer man, these concentric circles that I'm drawing on the board, that's fire and trials and persecution until finally when you get old, like me, you get a thin veneer of the outer man. You can't ever get rid of him completely until you are dead. Now, Babylon was founded on this outer man. Let us make us a name. Name is the word Shem in the Hebrew. This is in Genesis 11 and 4. This is the beginning of Babylon. 11 and 4. Name is the word Shem. It means authority. We want to make up our own doctrine. And that's what people are doing today in America. The Baptists, the Charismatics, the Pentecostals. They made themselves a new doctrine, a Shem. Shem was God's secondborn. God made him the authority over all the world. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And they said, we want another Shem. We don't like Shem telling us what to do. We want a name for ourselves. So they just change everything. That's what's going on in America today. The Pentecostals have made themselves a name. I've said this several times. The Pentecostals have taken the word tongue and made it a bunch of garbage. The word tongue is the word dialectos. And the word glossa, those are the two words for tongue everywhere you find them in the New Testament. Dialectos is our word dialect. Glossa is our word glossary. A glossary is a section of a book with words that are foreign to the average reader. You can go over to that section and look it up, and it'll tell you what that word means. They had a different dialect of the common street language. The common street language is called the koine. In every city-state in the world, and all the the people that came to Pentecost, all the males were devout men from every nation under heaven. In Exodus, the 23rd chapter, the Bible says all the males had to come back to Jerusalem for 
three festivals, Passover, Pentecost, and Feast of Ingathering, which was coupled with the Day of Atonement. And they all had to come back to to Israel for that. When they came back, they couldn't even understand one another. So they said, how here we ever man in our own tongue when we were born. That's when you talk about the Pentecostals, they have made themselves a name. So at the Baptist, when they say, accept Christ as your personal Savior, and the Bible says, dead men cannot accept anything spiritual. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, receiveth decomai, D-E-C-H-O-M-A-I. Decomai comes from deck, which is the word ten, a decade, it's ten years. And it means the natural, the physical man cannot reach out the ten fingers and accept any offer that's been given. He cannot. He's dead. Now, we're talking about the destruction of this outer man. The Bible teaches at the end of time, at the end of time, Babylon is going to go down. I have a bunch of verses lined up, and I want to help you to see this. All through the book of Revelation, you're going to find the end of time all through the book. Let me just write these down for you. In Revelation 6, the the end of time is going to be in Revelation 6 and verse 12 through 17. This is when the mountains are going to be destroyed and men are going to hide from the face of him that sits upon the throne. Let me show you something in that chapter that most people don't have any idea what it's actually saying. Look over here in Revelation 6. Revelation, the 6th chapter, when the Bible says, I'll just show you where the end of time is coming here. And behold, verse 12, Behold, when I had opened the sixth seal, lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became its blood. Most people, when you're reading Revelation, you got to look at the idioms and metaphors. Moon becoming blood was an idiom. To become blood meant to die. Well, if the moon dies, what happens to it? It quits reflecting the light of the sun. When it has to do with idiomatic language, the man that gives us the understanding of that better than anybody else is over here in Micah, the third chapter, and he tells you what the sun turning to darkness means. Was it Jonah? Jonah, Micah comes right after Micah three. 3 and verse, and the Lord is talking to the prophets of Israel. He says in verse 1, I said, Here I pray ye, O heads of Jacob, that would be the kings and the prophets and the priests, and ye princes of the house of Israel, is it, it is, is it not for you to know judgment? You hate the good and love the evil. 
He's telling the leaders of Israel that. And then he says down here in verse 5, Thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that make my people to err. They went after Baal in the grove and they're erring. That bite with their teeth and cry peace, and he putteth not into their mouths. God says, I didn't put into these prophets' mouths that's running around preaching Baal and grove and Shemash worship that even prepare war against God. Therefore, night shall be unto you that you shall not have a vision anymore, prophets of, prophets of Baal. You were prophets of God. He's not talking about foreign prophets. He's talking about his prophets in Israel that have started going after Baal in the grove when Ahab brought it into northern Israel. And it shall be darkened to you that ye shall not divine. So all the things that you're supposed to be seeing as prophets, you're not going to see anymore. And the sun shall go down over the prophets and the day shall be dark over them. So it's talking about daylight as being a form of truth. It's not going to be with the prophets anymore. So when you get to any of those verses talking about the sun is turned to darkness and the moon to blood, sometimes it says the moon will not give her light. It's talking about equating the light of the day with truth and the lack of light with the lack of truth. Every time you find the moon turned to blood, or the moon doesn't give her light, ending in Matthew 24 when the Bible says, after the tribulation those days, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon will not give her light. In that verse 29. And then he says, And the stars of heaven fell unto earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. What does it mean the stars of heaven fall to earth? You go back to to chapter 1, chapter 1, and Jesus is standing in the midst of the candlesticks in verse 16, and he had in his right hand seven stars. Well, what are the seven stars? If you look at, there's seven candlesticks and seven stars. And then he says in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. So when the stars fall from heaven, that's... How can I explain this without showing you this? This is the candlesticks here. The guy, a guy made this for me over in North Carolina. Uh, it needs to be wider because the the oil had to flow through the candlesticks. The only purpose of the candlestick was to have the oil so you have the light coming out. The oil is a picture and a type of the Holy Spirit. And we're the candlesticks. And that would be like truth coming out of our mouths. And then he says in verse 20, And the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the seven angels. Angel, angelos, A-G-G-E-L-O-S, means messenger. I just believe they 
what you need to do is take your Bible and cross out every time it has angel and write messenger in there. That's all that angel means. You can be a heavenly messenger like Gabriel or Michael, but all the preachers of the first century were called angels or messengers. If a little kid goes next door to borrow a cup of sugar for his mother, he's an angel, not because he's cute and because he doesn't get in trouble. It's because he's a messenger. That's really all it means. So the seven stars is a picture of the oil inside the candlesticks. And the seven stars are the seven angels. It doesn't say seven, but since there are seven stars, there are seven angels. And the seven churches and the seven candlesticks which you saw are the seven churches. So, you've got to understand this. Now let's get back over there to Revelation 6. you got the end of time here in Revelation 6. Then he says in Revelation 6, continue to read there. And he says, the stars of heaven fell unto earth. Anytime you find a star falling, when you get over in that 8th chapter, in verse 10, and the third angel sounded, these are the angels of the churches. The third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven. That's in the 8th chapter, verse 10. Let's get back over to 6. And the stars of heaven fell. That would be the judgments of God coming from the mouth of the preachers or the, or the ministers of God. And the stars of heaven fell unto earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken by the wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together. Don't think of what these preachers say. The heavens was the ruling class, and the Lord told Israel, "You will rule your, you will go against your enemy one way. They'll flee seven ways as long as you're obedient to me. You'll be the heavens." In fact, when you look up heavens in your McClinic and Strong, it will say the ruling class. The first thing it'll come out and say to you: "The heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain." and island were moved out of their places. What else can I say? Take McClinic and Strong, look up the M volume, look up Mount, and it will tell you a Mount was a capital city of an empire. What this is saying is all the capital cities of the world are going to be shaking at the end of time. That's what's happening now. And when the heaven departed as a scroll, it rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and mighty men, and presidents, and, and rulers of nations, and, and princes, and kings, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains, and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne. This is the end of time. But it's not the only end of time in Revelation. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath is 
come. It doesn't say his wrath. Thee and great and day and wrath are all feminine gender. This is the wrath of man. It's the Babylonian wrath because Babylon was the mother of harlots and she was feminine. And wrath is the word orge, O-R-G, Ada. And that is the wrath and the, of revenge of someone who's wanting to get back at being beat out of something they had. So the great day of man's wrath is here. This has to do with a great war that's going to be going on at the end of time. I don't know how in the world I'm going to get to that. It's going to take me several weeks to get to that. And he says, who shall be able to stand in the day of man's wrath? This world is headed down. Now, look here in Revelation 8. Revelation 8. And I've said this before. You got seven angels with seven trumpets. And in Revelation 8, I don't know how I'm going to tell y'all all this. It's just so much to it. You got seven angels with seven trumpets. In the first verse, when it opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of a half an hour. What does that mean? Well, you've got to read the second verse to find out what it means. And I saw these seven angels. Which seven angels are these? That's the seven that's the seven angels, which are the seven spirits of the seven churches. The church has to be here if the seven spirits are here. What are the spirits doing wandering around out here in the sky somewhere looking for a place to land? There's no pre-trib rapture. If the angels are here, the candlesticks are here because they're inside the candlesticks. And I saw these seven angels are the messengers of God which stood before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Did you know that these these pipes are actually called trumpets on a candlestick? They're called trumpets and they're sounding. I keep saying a trumpet was a voice. Anytime you see trumpet anywhere in the Bible, it's a voice. If you're in the military and you hear, that means charge. It tells the soldiers to charge. If you hear, that's reveille. It means to get up, it's time to meet formation and go eat dinner. I was in military school. I know what it is. And if you hear taps, it's time to go to bed. Trumpets are nothing but voices to tell you what to do. That's all they're for. You find that in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians. If a trumpet has an uncertain sound, how does the man know what to do? He doesn't. Rather than some guy getting on a microphone and shouting across a, a land with a great big army, just have a trumpet sound and it'll tell him what he needs to do. So you got seven angels, seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar. Here's when they, you got seven angels who stand before God. To them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. 
Boy, that's important. This is about the temple. Here's the temple. Here's the veil. There's the Ark of the Covenant, or it's called the it's called the judgment seat, or the it's the it's the uh, it's where Christ would come down and sit upon that. That's the throne of God. Anytime you find throne, thronos, all through the book of Revelation is talking about the mercy seat, which is right on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And then you've got you got the golden censer here, or the gold everything inside the temple, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, the candlesticks, these all are beaten gold. Then you had you had the outside this, you had the brazen sea, and you had the altar. You got that on this on this uh, if I can find it. There it is right there. Right there. There's a brazen sea. It was a a laver when they first come out of Egypt it was up here just a little small laver because they only had Aaron and his four sons to wash at it after they had gone over to the altar and offered offered sacrifices on this altar they'd come back here and they this set upon it set upon three uh, bulls facing each direction Here's three here, three here, three over here, and three here. And they would come here and wash all over before they offered a sacrifice. Then they would come back after they offered a sacrifice and wash their hands and their feet. That's where foot washing comes from. And that's just not a part of the New Testament commandments. Now, where was I? All right. Eight and... So when the high priest would come in, anytime you find anything that implies the high priest coming into the Holy of Holies, anytime you find that, anytime it mentions this altar of incense, it was said that the high priest would get coals. He would get coals from this in a, it was a golden censer. It was like a shovel. He would get he would get incense from this altar and fire from this altar. This was brazen or brass, and this was a brassy sea, and these were gold, and that's important to know because every time the Bible says something about altar of incense, it's this one. It's the golden altar. So when it says here uh, that... And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. That means it's the high priest going to come and get this golden censer. And they put this thing here, right here in the middle of the Ark of the Covenant. And, of course, the Ark of the Covenant had a cherubim on each end that reached out and touched the uh, the curtain over here. And it had two of these animals woven in this uh, in the in the veil there, and they had that was four animals, 
And those animals are the four animals. It was the, it was the eagle, eagle, the ox, the lion, and man. And those are the four that God said he would establish his covenant with whenever he found, whenever Noah came out of the ark, Noah came out of the ark, God says, I will establish my covenant with the birds of the air. The king of the birds is the eagle birds. I can't even write what I'm talking. With the birds of the air. That's what the uh, eagle represented. With the cattle of the field, the king of the cattle is the ox. With the lion, with the beast of the field, the king of the beast is the lion. And with man. So anywhere you find these, you had one in each. And the veil woven in the veil. We don't know whether each one of these had four faces on it here. Or whether there's one face here, one face here, one face here, one face here. We know these four were around the altar there in in the inner sanctuary. Now, I can't give you all of these. Let me just get on down here. And they said when the high priest would go in, he would go into the Holy of Holies. He had he had you can read about his garments, what he had on his garments in Exodus, the 28th chapter. This takes a long time to get through all this. Exodus, the 28th chapter. Exodus 28. Here's what he had. So anytime, only on the 10th day of the 7th month, 10th day, of the seventh month, seventh month was Nisan. That was our months, September, October. And on that tenth day of the seventh month, that's the day on the Day of Atonement, he would kill the lamb, or kill the goat, not the lamb, but a goat on the Day of Atonement, and take the blood, before he would take the blood in here and sprinkle on the Ark of the Covenant, he would take from this altar here, he would take, it was a particular recipe for incense. It was a particular recipe of incense. When Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, offered strange fire and God struck them dead and killed them. We don't know what they did, but they had to have an exact formula. In that formula, it had frankincense. And it had other items in it. We don't know what it was. Now, when Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire, they could have done any number of things. They could have gotten fire off of these seven candlesticks and said, well, that's closer than this altar out here. Or they could have mixed up a wrong formula for that incense. Could have been anything. 
And that's when God struck them dead. And that left only Ithamar and Eleazar to be high priest and whatever families they had later on. So when he was coming in here, they would wait. And if they didn't hear something for a long time, God could have struck the high priest dead. He only came in there once a year. And it says that in verse 33 of the 28th chapter of... of, uh, Well, let me read from 31 down. Thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue. He's talking about the robe for the high priest. And there shall be an hole in the top of it like a poncho. In the midst thereof and shall be a binding of woven work round about the hole of it, like the poncho, as it were a hole of a habergeon. That was a, the habergeon was a piece of, of material when they went into battle that protected them, that it be not rent. Beneath upon the hem of it shall make a pomegranate a blue and a purple and a scarlet round about the hem thereof and bells of gold between them round about. So he'd have bells on the bottom of his skirt and as long as they were ringing, everything's okay. If they stop ringing, God may have struck him dead. That's why they would tie a rope around his foot and if they didn't hear nothing for a long time, they'd drag on it. And if he drug, if they could drag him out, God had killed him because he'd done one thing wrong. Boy, it was serious to be a high priest. And after he killed one of them, he'd say, okay, now who's next? You're the other brother. Come here. <coughs> Wouldn't like that, would you? Then he goes on to say, verse 35 in, in Exodus 28, it shall be upon Aaron to minister, and his sound shall be heard when he goeth in unto the Holy of Holies. That's the only place he was going by himself. Into the holy place before the Lord, when he cometh out, that he die not. So, if he, as long as he could be heard, that's why it says here, it says here in verse 1 of 8, When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven or in Israel about the space of 30 minutes. And after that, they would drag him out in case he had been killed. And then he saw the seven angels and so forth. Then the seven angels start sounding. Let me just say this here. The first angel sounded. Which angel? The spirits of the seven churches. Any time you see these angels, it's taught. It gives you the glossary in the first chapter, verse twenty. You never leave the seven angels. And the first angel sounded in in verse seven, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast into the earth. And the third part of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. It's talking about the earth heating up. People say the earth's not going to heat up. We're not in a we're not in a cycle. If we are in a cycle, it's God's cycle. 
And the earth is heating up. The Bible says in the 16th chapter of Revelation that the earth is going to be heating up and men are going to curse God and not repent. That's what it says. I can't teach this. It takes me a couple of years, to, three or four years to go through it. I did I did a series on Revelation where I went through four and a half years on Sunday night, 236 messages. And the Bible says here in the 16th chapter that the fourth angel poured out his vial. The difference between the vials and the trumpets, the trumpets sounded the judgment, the vials were the judgments. That's, a vial was a bowl. It was the same thing when they would have a castle or a city that was being attacked and they would have bowls on the side of that walls of that castle and they would pour them down hot lead, metal, stones on top of the invading armies. That's the bowls. That's God's bowls that he's pouring out. And then he says... In verse 9 of chapter 16, the men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which had power over these plagues and they repented not to give God glory. The earth is going to heat up. And I have checked the earth's average heating for the last 10 years or 12 years. I haven't checked it lately, but you can go online and look up the heat of the earth and they'll tell you every year is the hottest year it's been I mean it's hot you say what do you mean the hottest year what they do is they take the temperature for one day and they take all the temperature for every day of the year add it up to a total and divide it by 365 and that'll tell you what the average temperature was for the year all year, every day, all year long. And they tell us that the earth is getting hotter and hotter. You've got these, these, uh, these ice caps melting all over the world. You've got them melting. You've got the tundra, which is the frozen ground. I've got one film. It was about the tundra in Alaska is melting and it's got a picture in it of a forest that's just leaning about like that with the trees sticking up there sideways because the tundra is melting the polar bears are they're coming into the cities because they don't have enough fish to eat there's not enough ice they've got to have the ice to get to the to get to the seals out there that's their that's their food and there's so there are these great big these big uh, trash flows. They said there's five of them all over the world that are huge. One of them is it you can see it just goes forever. It's just trash that is piled up in the middle of an ocean, and it's as big as the state of Texas. That's how much trash is in the open, in the ocean. When the Bible speaks of the fish dying in the sea, that's why. 
If people would use their internet to look up all these things about how the earth is dying and it's getting, it's building up the trash all over the world. The air is making people sick. The sea is making people sick. It's getting to where you catch a disease. If you just go down to, to Alabama and start planting the sea. One lady here recently, they said she caught some disease down there just by being in the sand. All of this is a sign of the end. Let me get back to this. Then he says down here, the first angel sounded, and he gives you, there's, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. This is chapter 8, verse 7. And a third part of the trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. That means the earth is getting hotter. And the second angel sounded as it were a great mountain burning with fire. You'll find that this verse 7, you'll find the plagues of, of Moses brought upon Egypt in Exodus 9, 8 through 12. For verse 7 and verse 8, you'll have Exodus seven thirteen through 35. Uh, the the sea becomes blood. This is a repeat of Moses bringing these plagues upon Egypt. It's a repeat. And then he says, And the third part of the creatures were in the sea and had life died. They're dying now. Certain fish you cannot buy. You can't hardly buy orange roughy anymore. I like the orange roughy, the taste of it, better than most fish. It doesn't taste fishy. And you can't hardly find it anymore. You can't hardly find grouper anymore in any restaurants. And grouper is really good fish. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. It's When it says ships in the sea, it's like I said the other day. Ships in the sea... It's like saying FedEx, UPS. It's like saying this. It's talking about the the method of getting merchandise to the world is being stopped. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star, one of the stars, the judgment of God from the candlesticks. A great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp. The lamp is the menorah. And it fell upon a third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. I challenge anybody, just go home and look up how are our oceans polluted. You can't believe the information you're going to get. They're corrupted. That's why we have a shortage of fish. We've got a shortage of everything right now. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. Wormwood was a bitter, bitter herb. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. He's talking about the fish are going to die. That's happening right now as I'm talking to you. I did a, a series on looking all this up years ago when I taught on this. And the amount of things that's dying in the sea is unbelievable. I challenge you to look it up on the internet. Challenge everybody to. Many died 
Many men died of the waters. I saw, I was online last night, and this guy drank sewage water, and it killed him. And he was 41. It killed him overnight. Just boom, he's dead. Because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon talking about no more light, no more truth. This is all very idiomatic. And the third part of the stars, as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not, for the third part of it is talking about truth going dim. And the night likewise. And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe! Woe, woe. The word woe in the Greek is the word ouai, O-U-A-I. What this is talking about, this is talking about ouai. When the Bible says ouai, O-U-A-I. How many of you have ever heard, have you ever heard a Jew in some movie or something get exasperated and says, Oi. Have you ever heard that? Oi. He'll say, Oi. That's what this is right here. Oi. Oi. That's what they would say. That's a cry of damnation and of judgment. And what he is saying, three We've had what we've had so far is four angels sounding. Four angels have sounded. And the last three are the three woes. Uwai. The three woes. Every time you find woe, let me read something to you about woe. And what we've got left is the fifth angel. This is the first woe. We got the sixth angel. That's the second woe. This is the first woe. This is the second woe. And then you have the third woe. Third woe. Where the seventh angel sounds. And when the seventh angel sounds, everything ends. It's all it's all over with the signing of the seventh angel. And let me read this to you. This is a paper. I got this out of McClinic and Strong. Woe is is often used in English version, where a softer expression would be at least equally proper. Woe to such an one. Is our language a threat or imprecation? Imprecation. Got this also out of McClinic and Strong. Imprecation means an appeal to God invoking his curse upon someone or something for the former and the latter which occurs frequently in the so-called imprecatory psalms 
That means a cursed sum upon someone and is justified partly by atrocity of some of the crimes execrated. It means to execrate or cause something really bad to happen. So these three woes are really going to be sad. One, two, three. It's going to be a woe upon the world. I've got all kinds of things on woe. You've got three woes to go. This is the judgment of God upon the world. Now, the first woe, the fifth angel sounds. The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven. The star goes back to those, back to chapter one. You don't ever leave chapter one, and that last verse, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand. You have to you have to understand something about the right hand. That was the hand of authority. That was Jesus' hand of authority, with the stars in his hand, and that's us. And that's predestination. I've got a bug up here. All right. Now let's go into this. And he opened in the fifth angel sound, and I saw a star fall from heaven. That is the judgments of God, the Holy Spirit, in the mouth of his candlesticks, which is us. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit, Goodness gracious, how often must I say this? Bottomless pit doesn't mean a hole in the ground with no bottom. Swordabusos, A-B-U-S-S-O-S. Abusos. That's the word bottomless pit. It has to do with the whole world. Let me get over here. The bottomless pit has to do with, here's Israel on this end of the Mediterranean. It's on the, it's on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. They're the only ones in the world for 4,000 years that had any truth. Nobody else had the truth. No one in the world had the truth of the Gentiles. Abusos comes from Bathos. And the alpha privative. The alpha privative is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. It negates a word. Negate. Gives an opposite meaning to the following word. Bathos means something with great knowledge or understanding. The alpha in front of bathos means no knowledge. That's talking about all the rest of the world besides Israel. Even when you get into that 20th chapter of Revelation and Satan is bound, he is Dio. Dio means forbidden. Forbidden from deceiving. Deceiving the nations. And I believe it's for a 2,000-year period. It says 1,000, but 1,000 is the wrong. There were no zeros in I did a, 
a message on no zeros in, in the Greek. They had no zeros. Has to be 2,000 because of the word nation, ethnos, E-T-H-N-O-S. Ethnos is the word nation, and it's also the word Gentile. There was a 2,000-year period where Satan was not allowed. He was forbidden, Dio, forbidden. It's unlawful for him to deceive Gentiles for a 2,000-year period from Acts 2 to the end of time. And I believe that will be 2,000 years. I couldn't swear to that. I wouldn't. Acts 2 was around 33 to 35 A.D., I don't see how we can really go past 2035 A.D. If we can, we can't go past 240. I mean, we're right on the verge of eternity, and I don't even think people even understand that or believe that. From all that I've studied about this book, I believe we're right at it. It's not something that's comfortable be comfortable with. And then he says, he opened the bottomless pit or the place of no knowledge. And there rose a smoke out of the pit as a smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened or truth was darkened. What was darkening the truth? Let me take some time on this. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Smoke is very interesting. It will tell you, and there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. So locusts were like scorpions, locusts. like scorpions. Locusts, when you see locusts anywhere in the Bible, you think famine. When the locusts were coming into Israel, God says, I will send the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and then I'll send the beast, the world-ruling system. What if I said new world order? That's what George Bush Sr. started talking about. I'll send the sword. That'll be wars that you can't get over. We've got about 50 wars going on in the world today. 50. And you can't even hardly name them all. We've got famine all over the world. When you think of famine... You think of economy. When the economy goes down, I've done a search on the internet. There's about 30 world powers right now that are on the verge of economic collapse, about to go down. Uh, Greece is one, Russia is another. Italy is another. The United States is one. We are teetering and tottering on the verge of an economic collapse. The go online and look up authorities. Look up the authorities on 
economy. That's all you have to do. It'll give you all of these economics experts, and they'll tell you, we have gone past the place of no return. There's no turning back. Mr. Kotlikoff, Boston professor at Boston University, says, "We, it's over. He said, we are past the point of returning. We can't go back and recoup anything. When you're owing, we don't even know how much money we owe on national debt. Some say $23 trillion, Some say $40 trillion. And one writer says, we have committed to people outside of the states, the United States, 232 to $35 trillion, which can never be paid back. We are on the verge of giving it all up. I'll be glad to see it over with. I've never been so tired of anything in my life. So, Satan is forbidden from deceiving the nations or the Gentiles for at least a 2,000 year period. I believe we're going to come to the end of all things before long. When I get to teaching on the end of time, that's the way it feels. Now, he says, there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. Let me give you something that's interesting with about the smoke. Just hold your place there and go over here to First Timothy. First Timothy. It's talking about in verse three, if any man teach otherwise than the truth of God, otherwise huh? A sixth chapter in verse three. If any man teach otherwise, hetero hetero that's a Greek word, H-E-T-E-R-O-D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-O. Or E-O. Heterodaskaleo. Hetero is a Greek word. A heterosexual is other sex. Heterodaskaleo is other doctrine. Heteros other didascalia's doctrine. And consent not to wholesome words. Wholesome is the word hugiano. Remember that word? H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. Hugiano is the same word that John used when he says, some men will come preaching. They, they preach an, uh, another way. They preach, they don't preach the narrow way. They preach prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. Prosper is the word E-U-O-D-O-O. It comes from you and hodos. Hodos is the common Greek word way. You means well. The well way is the narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. And it, we get the word thalipsis from that, which is the word tribulation. We must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of God. And the word health is the word H-U-G-I-A-I-N-O. It means uncorrupt words. Uncorrupt words, that's the exact same word as wholesome right here. Uncorrupt words. 
If any man consent not to wholesome, uncorrupt words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. The charismatics don't preach the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. They preach those goofy tongues instead of gloss and delectos. They preach faith healing. And there's no such thing as faith healing. Every time the Bible says thy faith is made thee whole, the word whole is sozo. It's the word saved. There's no such thing as faith healing. If faith healing is true, why do all of the super faith healers of the past hundred years die of a disease? That's insane, isn't it? I would like to ask somebody at Oral Roberts University, what in the world are you doing with a hospital out here? Why don't you just lay your hands on everybody? Say, line up in a line for five miles and we'll just lay hands on you and we'll heal you while you come by us. That's, it's insane, isn't it? That's crazy. The biggest faith here in the, in the last hundred years builds a hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Great day. And this man that doesn't consent to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is according to Godliness, he is proud and he knows nothing. Proud is the word tufao. T-U-P-H-O-O. T-U-P-H-O-O. It means blind. Slowly. Consumed by smoke with no fire. Now notice this. He's consumed by smoke. He's conceited when he doesn't consent to the Word of God and he knows nothing. Notice how that matches up with this 8th chapter, with ninth chapter of Revelation. These locusts that come out of the smoke, out of the place of knowing nothing, that upon the earth unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. So the locusts have the same power Locusts have the same power as scorpions. Well, you will not know what that means if you don't define some words, will you? No, you won't. Anytime you see locusts, think famine in Israel. Here's a locust right here. Somebody gave this to me. And they wrote on the side of it, Crouch, for Paul Crouch. That's a locust. Looks like a great big grasshopper, and it is. Say They say those locusts will be up to six inches long. They would come in hundreds of billions, and when they were coming, the Jews could see them. This is because they were going after Baal in the grove and Shemash and Molech and the same thing we brought in the church and renamed Christ's Mass. And God did this to Israel? 
And they would scream and cry and go, Oh God, oh God, what's happening? We're going to die. Look at the locusts. They were terrified of locusts. They were going to eat their crop up. I mean, overnight. I've got a picture of a tree that was just full of leaves. just And it shows less than 10 minutes later. These locusts hit it and it's gone. Nothing but limbs. And they were terrified. And the locusts would come. The locusts would come where it would be maybe 20 miles wide and 20 miles long. And nothing, no light could get through and there was nothing but darkness. How does that equate with, how does that equate with these scorpions? The scorpion Scorpion is the word Scorpios, S-K-O-R-P-I-O-S. That's the noun. There's a verb form for noun, and the verb form is Scorpizo. And this is how they're like scorpions or like locusts. Scorpizo is the verb. This is the noun. And this is the word that's used in John 10. When Jesus gives you the parable of the good shepherd, he said, the hireling, the man that preaches for money, he doesn't care for the sheep. He allows the wolf to come in. Well, as soon as you see wolf, you know, you immediately know false teacher. He allows the wolf to come in and scatter the flock. Scatter is the word scorpizo. It's the verb form of the word scorpion. Scorpizo. So the wolf steals, or the scorpion steals the food, the spiritual food of the sheep, while the locust steals the literal food of the flaw. They both steal the food. That's why I hate false teachers. I don't like, I do not like, did not like Billy Graham. He lied to the people. I did not like, saying I didn't don't like Kenneth Copeland, the guy is a maniac. He steals from the people, lies to them, takes their money and buys jet planes and uh, has tons of money, says he's worth over a billion dollars. What is a preacher doing with a billion dollars? He is really insane. And there's one other verse. All if you have a if you have a concordance, all you gotta do is open up to Scorpion in your concordance and go over here to Ezekiel, the second chapter, it's not even hard to do. Go to Ezekiel 2, and here's what the Bible says. And the Lord tells Ezekiel, talking to Ezekiel, where's Ezekiel? He's in Babylon. He was carried captive around 596 B.C. 
He's in Babylon, 650 miles away from Israel. Here's what God tells Ezekiel. I don't know why preachers have never looked at this. All you got to do is take your concordance, open up to the second chapter of Ezekiel, and the Lord will tell you, He says here in in verse, let me read down to it. He's talking about how rebellious Israel has been. Verse 3, he said unto me, this is chapter 2. I sent thee to children of Israel to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me even unto this day. They are impudent children talking about Israel. Stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, and yet shall know that there, there hath been a prophet among them, Ezekiel, And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou shalt dwell among scorpions, be not afraid of their words. They're scorpions. And it it was Babylonians that carried you away, and they're false teachers. That's what a scorpion is. Now, let's get back to chapter 9 of Revelation. They came out of the smoke, or the smoke equates with the conceit and with the being blind, proud. It was commanded unto them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth. Oh, these are spiritual locusts. They're scorpions. They're not going to eat up the grass. They're going to eat up the Word of God. Remember, the word law is the word nomos, N-O-M-O-S. This is what the scorpions are going to eat up. Namas means legally prescribed food for animals. It's our prescription. Legally prescribed food for animals. That's what a scorpion is. And then he says, But only those men which have not the seal of God in their forehead. To have the seal, the sphragizo, S-P-H-R-A-G-I-Z-O. Sphragizo is that word seal. Seal is, it comes from sphragis, S-P-H-R-A-G-I-S, which is the word signature. God has written upon fleshy tables of our heart. We got the signature of God on us. Sphragis. If they don't have it, and I can spend an hour just on that. That comes, we go to the Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, and God says, Put my law on your head before your eyes. Put it on your hand. Put it on your, lie down on your rise up where you walk. That's the law of God. Put it between the eye doesn't mean to put a chip up there. It meant to put in the mind. 
And that's what this frogus is. This is, these scorpions are not going to eat up the grass of the field. They're going to eat up the law of God so that the people that are fooled by them won't know the difference. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but they should be tormented five months. What does that mean? The lifespan of a locust is five months. What that means is the lifetime, as long as these scorpions are alive during their lifespan, that they will continue to deceive men and, and pull them away from the truth. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh the man. Let me tell you about scorpions. Scorpions, when they sting you, it makes you numb. It sounds like Ephesians, the second chapter, or fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. This is when scorpions sting you. This is what happens. How much time do I have, Mike? I'm not getting through this very... It's taken me... I don't know how long I'll be on this. It'll take me a long time. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. It's talking about false teachers here that are preaching every wind of doctrine. And when a man hears these winds of doctrine, the Bible says, uh, from whom the whole body... Verse 16, chapter 4. Talking about the... I can't just read one verse. 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the slight of men. Slight is the word cubia. K-U-B-I-A. It's our word cube. It has the idea of dice that are being switched, switching dice. That's what it's talking about. About tricky men who switch dice on you. And they whereby they lie in wait to deceive, plané. The word deceive, plané. We get the word plan. It looks like plain. We get the word planetes. It means to seduce and cause to go out. O-U-T. Of the way. The way, the only way that we're seduced out of is the narrow way. And when he says, when they seduce you to go out of the narrow way, I'll just go down to the verse I'm looking for. This is what happens. Well, we'll read 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity metaites, transientness of their mind. They're just wandering here and there and everywhere. Having the understanding darkened. They can't understand anymore. Being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. They they get to where they can't see and understand truth at all. And then it says, here's what happens when they're listening to false doctrine who being 
past feeling. Past feeling is the word apalgeo. O A P A L G E O. It means apathetic. They can't feel anything. They've been stung by the scorpions. Apathetic comes from pathos. Pathos means painful. A pathologist is a doctor of painful diseases. Apathy means no feeling. That's what happens when a scorpion stings you. Did you know that scorpions have an exoskeleton? I've got a couple of books on scorpions, and they they go out and they hunt at night. Sometimes they will sit in an old tin can for hours waiting for their prey to come along. And they plot their their method of moving at night by the stars. And this exoskeleton causes the moon to be bright at night upon their skin, upon their exoskeleton, and it causes other creatures to come to them so they can devour them. And when they sting, they make you dull where you don't feel anything. When these creatures sting, and they sting you with false doctrine, you get to where you just don't care anymore. That's what the Bible is talking about. You can talk to people that are supposed to be Christians and say, I don't care. I say, we're living close to the end of time. Well, I don't care. What difference does it make? I've got my money. I've got my house. I've got my car. And I'm making my payments. not all the truth I need. Your life will be over with before you know it too. Now, where was I? Back here in Revelation. Let's go on down here. It says, the torment of a scorpion, which makes you dull. In those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die. And this is verse 6. And death shall flee from them. He's not talking about people wanting to kill themselves. They can kill themselves. It's people like me. I have a desire to be with Christ, which is better than this here. But it's more necessary for the church that I remain. There are people all over the world that's watching us on the Internet. We get all these these emails from worldwide. Then he says, The shapes of the locusts were likened to horses prepared unto battle. When you look at a locust, it looks kind of like a horse. It's built like a horse. You look at it. And they're prepared to battle to go and destroy the crops of the people. You can't see locusts. They're not. It's not some mystical thing. You've got locusts all through the Old Testament. The Lord said, I'll send the famine. I'll either send you too much rain or no rain or locusts. So he's talking about that very thing. And then he goes on to say, The shapes of the locusts are like horses prepared unto battle, and that's exactly what they are. They look like horses, like little bitty tiny horses. On their heads were, as it were, crowns of gold. They're pretending to be God's people. 
Do you remember when I talked about crowns of gold? And these were the priests of God. That's what they had on their heads. And that fourth chapter and the fourth verse, they had crowns of gold out of Exodus, the 28th chapter, the 36th verse. The priests of God had gold bands around their head and they, they, these false teachers are pretending to be priests of God. That's what these Baptist preachers up the street and the Pentecostal preachers, and I don't hear any of them talking about David Cross, death to self, self-denial, suffering for righteousness sake. I don't hear any of them talking about that. They want to comfort people and say, you've got to, you deserve a good life and God wants you to be happy and wonderful and skip and sing uh, Heidi Ho, Heidi Hey as you skip through the tubes into heaven. And it's all a glorious, wonderful time. It is not. We have to be going through trial and fire. We have to be hurting. If you haven't learned to hurt, I keep saying this. Don't hesitate about telling people the truth. If you, if you think it's going to bother you, it will. When you tell them the truth and they just don't want it. But you don't have to get mad at them because God made them like that. They're not supposed to want the truth. They're supposed to turn their nose up, make fun of you and laugh at you and walk away. Well, expect that. What does that do to you? It makes you a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief like Jesus. I don't hear preachers talking about how you have to be miserable. I've said this a thousand times. This is the most wonderful, miserable message upon the earth. It's a wonderful, miserable message because it makes our flesh miserable. We have to deal with a world that doesn't care about God's truth. I don't ever stop teaching people. I don't care wherever I am. I wasn't this way when I was 50 years old. I've come to the place of realizing everybody I run into, it doesn't matter who they are. They're either a vessel of wrath or a vessel of mercy from the foundation of the world. So it don't matter how many of them get mad at me. Most people are going to hell when they die. Straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few there be that find it because many are going into the broad way. So expect not to be accepted by your friends or family. Expect that. It depresses you. I keep making this statement. Tracy told me, she said, you told me years ago when I got depressed, you said, you're supposed to be depressed. Jesus was depressed. He wouldn't walk around happy and smiling and say, hey, isn't life wonderful? No. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief every day of his life. That's the normal way of Christian living. It's hard... Boy, that's a hard to get a hold of, isn't it? I know that people don't want to get a hold of it. Now, let's read on here. They had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. Who is he talking about? The scorpions. The hair of women 
A woman had to have her hair cut. In the 11th chapter of First Corinthians, the women had their hair cut in a in a coma. It was a it was a cut where they could tie their their uh, their dowry in their hair. They could tie their dowry because when a man would come in and say, "I divorce you, get out," all she could wear take with her was what was on her person. So she had her dowry in her hair. And it, when the woman lost the two pieces of silver, every every commentary I've ever read says the two pieces of silver was part of her dowry, and that's why she rejoiced. And Jesus got tired of that. He said, I want you to give her a bill of divorce if you divorce her. Don't kick her out in the streets with no money. That was a poverty-stricken nation in the first century. And she would usually have to result to prostitution. And Jesus said, I'm tired of you treating women this way. Anyway, so they had to have teeth as a lion. Lions were considered a destructive animal. They're very destructive. When they have teeth of a lion, they mean they'll eat you alive. That's what these scorpions were. And they had breastplates of iron. Boy, that is extremely interesting. In my scorpion books, it's arachnid books on arachnids. That's eight-legged creatures, spiders and scorpions. And the the scorpions, they tell you in the scorpion books, you can tell what family a scorpion is a member of by their breastplates. And these had breastplates of iron. When you go back into the Old Testament and you see the vision of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had in his dream, he saw he saw a vision where the head was of gold, the chest was of silver, the torso was of brass. And the legs were of iron. This is exactly the same thing. And and Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, Thou art that head of gold. You're the head of gold. That equates with the beast. This is in Daniel 2. And the beast in Daniel 7, the beast that comes up out of the sea, this is the beast, this is the sea rising up out of the sea, is Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. That's these four here. It was the head of gold. The one after it is of silver. That is... That is... Persia that rises up after the first one is Babylon and then the brass is 
if you notice, as you go down, the metals are stronger, but they're less precious. And this equates here, the Persia, the gold equates with the first beast, the lion. The, the second, the Persian equates with the silver, the bear. And the brass, that is Alexander the Great, Greece. And that equates with the leopard. And the legs of iron is Rome that overthrows these. That's Rome the beast with iron teeth. And it's iron teeth over here. It's legs of iron here. And it's breastplates of iron. And that's the false teaching scorpions. And that's all the same thing. So this is the legs of iron. And it's got... The legs of iron mixed with clay. And clay is not fused with iron. What does that mean? When they wanted to make clay ready to be molded, they had a clay trough. And they would put the clay in this trough and would tread the trough. What this is a picture of is the beast world system treading down Israel and treading all the impurities out of them. That's what it's a picture of. I can't get through all of this. And their tails likened to scorpions and their stings and their tails. That's not talking about helicopters. That's the stupidest thing. When they say, well, the tails of the helicopter are in the back of the helicopters. Well, the machine guns are in the back of the helicopters. But a, a scorpion's tail is right over its head. When it comes to attack, his tail is up here. Not in the back of something. It's not talking about helicopters. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, the angel of the place of no knowledge, the messenger of all of this fire and tree worship. Remember, Israel only had the truth from, from Adam until Jesus in Acts 2. Then God poured out of his spirit on all flesh, red, yellow, white, black, and brown flesh. That's when he poured out of his spirit after, after Israel had rejected him. I was going to get on down to these next verses because this is some of the most interesting stuff I've ever gotten into. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit or the place of no knowledge. The place of no knowledge was the Mediterranean Sea. That was the entire civilized world in the ancient world. That was all the civilized world. That's where these Caesars ruled from. That's where Alexander ruled the world. This is the world of the Bible right there. That's all there is in the Bible. Right here. 
It was the Mediterranean Sea. That's why the beast rises up out of the sea. Babylon was ruling the civilized world. And then Babylon, which is Iraq, was overthrown by Persia, which is Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran. All those stands in Iran, that's Persia, and they overthrew Babylon. And then Persia was overthrown by Alexander the Great. And then Alexander the Great had had these four generals, and they were subjugated by the Roman Empire. And that's the beast with iron teeth. I thought I'd be able to get further into this. I'll just go ahead and tell you. You got the end of time in Revelation 8, 7 and 8, when you see the mountain burning with fire. You got the end of time in Revelation 10 and 7. That's where the last trump sounds and, and Christ has got one foot on the land, the other on the sea, and says time is no more. Then you got the end of time in Revelation eleven fifteen, when the trumpet sounds, but it doesn't sound twice. It's just another it's another illustration of the, of the last trumpet sounding and all the enemies of this world are subjugated by God and the kings of this world have become the kings of our Lord and His Christ and He reigns forever and ever. And then in Revelation 14 and 14 and through 20 you find a, a prelude to the battle of Armageddon. That's when the Bible says in 14, talking about verse 14, it's talking about that the winepress was trodden outside the city and the blood came out of the winepress, even up to the horse bridles. It doesn't mean blood was as deep as a horse bridle. It means blood was splattering that eye. And that has to do with the finality of everything. And you got 15 and 7. It, you got the end of time there, and then you got Armageddon. Armageddon is mentioned one time in the Bible. It means the valley of of it's a valley of decision. It's when it's a when God has an appointment to destroy everything upon the earth. You got the end of time in sixteen and seventeen. I'm out of time. Uh, this won't go down on anything. I'll come back to these end of time. I've got so many things to talk about. I was going to get into these last verses of chapter 14 where you've got... I ain't going to tell you this now. It's too much. Uh, I mean, excuse me, chapter 11 or chapter 9, in chapter 9 you've got a 100,000 people attacking Israel. That's that's 200,000. That's 200,000 thousand. That's 200 million people. I was going to tie that up with with Ezekiel, the 38th and 39th chapter along with the 14th chapter of Zechariah. The end of time is going to come with great devastation. And the Bible says it will happen in one hour. That means a very short period of time. Everything can be born smooth and the bottom can fall out one day of our 
of our stock market, of the market in general, just going down here to shop. That's enough. I can't get to all this. It's going to take me a long time to go through it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, deal with our hearts and crush us under your hand. You said that's what we need to be crushed. Give the people strength to face up to the truth that's coming. Lord, this is such a difficult time to live in. I don't know how the young people that are trying to live for you are doing it. It's hard. Thank you for truth. Give us strength to continue. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I didn't even hardly get going on this tonight. I mean, there's so much to this. False teachers are alive and well. Y'all know that, don't you? They're everywhere. Just watch TV. Just turn on the preachers on TV. They lie as fast as they talk. And I don't like them. I'm not even supposed to like them. They're very wicked men. I don't know how they can get by and think they're going to heaven. I I don't understand that, you know.